We'll be in Acts uh, chapter 23. And uh, you may or may not know uh, of something, this uh, Pascal's Wager, uh, if you've ever heard of that. Pascal was a mathematician from the Enlightenment. He was a contemporary of René Descartes, who who's famous for saying, I think, therefore I am. And, you know, I don't know kind of the father of modern humanism, laid the groundwork for Nietzsche and all the junk that he did. And 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 Pascal argued against René Descartes. He was a, a godly brother, and he often would tell René Descartes that, you know, in very ph- philosophical and educated ways, that's stupid, you know. And so I like Pascal just in general, but he, he had this wager, uh, a two yes or no questions uh, that had four outcomes, and you read, you read his wager, and he kind of felt like, yeah, once you hear this argument, you should just become a Christian. And, and I wish it worked that way. But, uh, uh, you know, you need to hear the gospel, uh, not be saved by an argument. And uh, I think his argument is still good for, to encourage people to check Christianity out. But I'm not sure that that many people got saved just because of his argument. And it goes a little something like this. Uh, is there a God? Yes or no. And will I commit to him? Will I be a Christian? Yes or no. Uh, so two easy questions with four possible outcomes. And, and uh, uh, Pascal made this argument that, you know, uh, you could say, yeah, there's not a God. That, that's, that's not a real deal. And I'm going to live my life for myself. You know, that's the hedonistic dream right there. You know, and, and, and you get away with it. You win. The, you win the gamble. If you're right. But what if there is a God? And, and so he kind of makes the argument that the consequences of eternal damnation far outweigh any momentary pleasure that we might receive uh, if there was no God and we were right. And so the, the, the consequences are, are, are way worse than, than the potential gain. And so, you know, he just felt like, yeah, everyone should see that and just automatically become a Christian. You know, yeah, of course. And maybe a few did. I, I don't know. But I, I definitely think it's an argument worth uh, sharing uh, to encourage. Don't you think, you know, encourage your friends, don't you think if there is a God you should really find out? Don't you think, you know, if there really is a God and, and eternity is real and you could spend eternity with him or eternity apart from him in hell, that you should find that out? And, and, and I kind of say it like this. Uh, I, I think I made this up. I, you know, if I didn't, let me know. But I call this Ken's query for good alliteration. And uh, I, said, I said it to the youth a lot uh, like this. You know, if I put a box in front of you, and I said to you, you know what, uh, uh, there might be a billion dollars in there. And I keep up in the number there. there. You know, inflation. There might be a billion dollars in this box. And all you have to do is open it and see. But I'll go ahead and let you know, there's a, and this is kind of a straw man, I'm making a really extreme, silly case. There's only a point zero 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 one percent chance that there's a billion dollars in there. And, of course, we're all thinking, yeah, there's not a billion dollars in there. But how many of us are going to look? We're all going to look. And how many of us are going to look right then? You, you'd be like, well, I'll, I'll look tomorrow. No, you'll just go, oh, okay, no, no, no billion dollars, or you're about to be the luckiest person in the world. How many of us would look? And how much more important is eternity? 
If, if you're willing to check out a, a box that you probably think is not, there's not a billion dollars in there, but just to check, how much more should we check out eternity and, and the truths of the Bible and God's word? And so, again, I don't think anyone will be saved because that's not the gospel message, but I think it's a good argument for you should be checking it out. You should really investigate this. You should look into this. And so uh, uh, as, as we dig in, into this, this is really going to tie into our last point of, of we, should, we should be looking at what God says and asking ourselves, is it true? Like the noble Bereans, is it true? You know, and God even says himself in Psalm 46, taste and see that I'm good. Try me out. You'll find that I'm true. You'll find that I'm right and you'll find that I'm good. So uh, we're going to read today. uh, We have uh, a rather lengthy passage, so we're going to read it in three parts and we'll stand up for the first one to honor God. So if you'll stand with me. In Acts chapter 23, and and we'll read uh, 12 to the end of the chapter. When it was day, the Jews made a plea, a plot, and, and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than forty who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, far more, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready two hundred soldiers with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen to go as far as Caesarea and the, at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius, Lysias, to the, his excellency the governor Felix, Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving of death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers to also state, uh, also to state before you what they have against you, him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to uh, Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with them. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul as before him. 
On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when, you, uh, when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Lord, please bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Father, I pray that we would uh, be obedient to whatever you have to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Whew. Today in our section, uh, to the end of the chapter, is our first point, the plot against Paul. And uh, which is funny because you could really put again, <laughs> there's been many plots against Paul. And this is just one of another. And, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, these 40 plus men uh, bound themselves by an oath and, and the Jews took their oath seriously. Uh, you know, uh, Jephthah, one of the judges, made an oath to kill whatever came out of his house if the Lord would give them victory. And then his daughter comes out of the house and he kills her. And, and uh, uh, you know, we feel like that's a foolish vow, uh, but, but he felt like it was more important to honor God than save the life of his daughter. I'm not sure I agree, but I do know that he should have made that foolish vow. So, uh, uh, so uh, they took their oath seriously, and I, I often wonder, knowing how the story ends, if any of those men perished, if they kept their oath to the death. Because we know Paul uh, avoids their, their ambush, and we know that, uh, in fact, he's in front of Felix for two years. So they would have been awfully hungry by then. So, uh, so uh, yeah, and, and uh, this young man, we don't know his exact age, but it seems like he's fairly young because it, the, the text mentions that the centurion took him by the hand. I, I can't see a rough, gruff, uh, a brutal uh, Roman tribune. Actually, I get centurion and tribune kind of mixed up. It's the tribune that takes him by the hand. I can't imagine this rough, gruff Roman soldier uh, doing that for an adult, you know. So uh, so we know that, that he's young, and, and somehow he's either incredibly well-connected or this conspiracy was not a very good conspiracy. It got out, and, and uh, his nephew heard about it. And of course, uh, uh, the Roman centurion, I, I love that letter too, uh, the Tribune, uh, he, he kind of makes himself look pretty good in that letter, doesn't he? He totally glosses over the fact that he had Paul bound and, and was this close to flogging him before he found he was a, a Roman citizen. The letter makes him look really, uh, really good, that he's the hero of the story. Uh, but we know that, that, that uh, Jesus is, amen? Uh, I mean, Paul's not even the hero, it's, it's Jesus. And so Paul uh, is yet again uh, uh, using everything for his good. And, and, and I just I see this first section interesting that Paul really is, is pretty passive in this part of the story. Uh, he, he doesn't do a whole lot, and, uh, which is kind of unlike Paul. He's a take charge kind of guy. And, uh, and, and this isn't the main point. It's a side point. But, but uh, uh, God calls us to be part of a family. You know, uh, uh, when, when Jesus uh, died on the cross and rose again for our sins, it was so that we could have a relationship with the Father again. John 1.12 says, To all who believe, to all who receive, He has given us the right to become children of God. That's a relationship. And God is our Father. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And the Spirit dwells within us. We are called to a relationship and a relationship with God, and we are brothers and sisters. 
And so in a family, you ask for help. You don't do it all yourself. Uh, you, you divide the work. You, you help each other. And, and sometimes that involves communicating. You have to ask for help. Uh, yeah, it would, sure would be nice if everyone just intuitively knew what, what each other needed. But, but let's face it, uh, uh, men, uh, I think, uh, you know, we need, we need that right out there, no beating around the bush, just tell me what you need. But we all need that, really. And we need to ask for help. But also, uh, another thing I notice in family is that that you let other people do stuff. You know, Jesus can do it all. God calls us to be a part of his work because I think he wants us to know him better. Because, let's face it, he could do it all. And he could do it all perfectly. He doesn't need us. But he calls us and he wants us uh, to be part of the work and, and, and primarily so that we can know him better and, 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 and see what he's about. And, you know, I, I, I love the whole idea of bring your daughter to work day, sons, but I have daughters. Uh, you know, uh, and I, you know, a lot of people think what I do is incredibly boring. I'll just say that right now. Uh, they wouldn't want my job uh, in job security right there. But... Um, but I, you know, I could train uh, my girls, and it would probably be uh, several months before they got good at what I do. And I could be thinking the whole time, I can do this better. And in fact, I, I do get to train the other people on my team. And and I've often said, man, you know, I'd be done with this by now. We could be moving on. But if I don't spend the time to invest in my team, I'm gonna always be doing all the work. <laughs> I've got to spend that time and, and let them make mistakes. Let them struggle through things. Let them figure stuff out and, and help them along the way. And here Paul just uh, lets the young boy uh, do the work. And then, and then the, the uh, tribune, he could have said, well, let's wait and see if what this boy says is true. He didn't. He, he gets up and gets a, a large percentage of, of the Roman guards that are in Jerusalem. The, the main garrison was up in Caesarea. The large Roman garrison was up in Caesarea, and they just kept a small one in Jerusalem because, that's let's face it, that's where everything broke out. So they're like, we need a little one there to be on, on hand. But, but most of this stuff was up in Caesarea with the governor. And he sends a good maybe two-thirds, maybe even more of his troops along with Paul. He wasn't, he wasn't messing around. And Paul just let this happen. And this is all side point that I just kind of noticed in the story because I, I believe the main point, uh, other than that, that we're called to a family, we need to act like a family, we need to let and invest and disciple uh, younger uh, brothers and sisters. But the main point is really the fulfillment of what happened the night before. This is Jesus telling him that you, as you have testified in Jerusalem, so you will testify in Rome. And it's already happening. You know, uh, sometimes God tells us stuff and, and, it, and it takes a while, and it's already happening the very next day. And, and God gives us what we, what we need. Thank you. Amen. You know, uh, God knows exactly what we need, and, and uh, you know, we have his revealed will, will that we can live by every day. You know, uh, there's so much in here that we can just say to one another as brothers and sisters that this is God's will, and, and, and I know this is what God wants for you, 
But there's also specific occasions. I, I encourage the youth to just to cry out to God. I, I, I envision youth a lot, but we're all youth, okay? Uh, uh, to cry out to God and that it is actually possible to receive God's specific will for your life. Not more than, than I want you to be my child, I want you to grow in Christ, I want you to live the life that I have found that's best for you. But God really can tell you, oh, this is the career that's best for you. This is the woman or the man that I have prepared for you to become a family. This is the church I want you to join. God will reveal his specific will to you. If you will seek him and uh, being the me now kind of society that we are, we want that all the time. You know, but but uh, when God gives us his specific will, it's when we need it. And and clearly Paul needed it because the very next day a plot rises up against him and machinations begin to happen that removes him because he knew God was calling him to Jerusalem and now he's being taken away from Jerusalem. And I I see in that the fulfillment of of Jesus' words to him and and it's so encouraging because he he could have been really disturbed. He's like, I know I'm supposed to be here in Jerusalem and now I'm being taken away. But now he can say to himself, "This this is part of God's plan. And it was such an encouraging thing that Jesus told him, as you have testified in Jerusalem, so you will testify in Rome. You know, kind of implied there is you did your, your job. I called you to Jerusalem and you did what you were supposed to do. And, and we don't know Paul's heart. Or, you know, were there times of doubt and wonder? We know it was hard at times when, when his own brothers and sisters were pleading with him in the spirit not to go. And Agabus was saying, you'll be bound. And, and I imagine he might have even thought, Jesus is calling me to, to die in Jerusalem. And he was okay with that. You know, my Lord died in Jerusalem, and, and, and if that's what I need to testify to the greatness of God, that's what I will do too. So he might have been thinking, yeah, last stop, Jerusalem's where it ends. And now he's like, Jesus says, good job. What you did here, you're going to do in Rome. And so what an encouraging uh, time to receive a specific word from Jesus. And as, as I, I think of this, this fulfillment of Jesus' words, and, and it was such a, a twisty, turny journey just getting to that point, and since we, I've read ahead in Acts, and I, hopefully you have too, you always can, great thing to do, uh, it's a twisty, turny journey to, to Rome too. It just doesn't happen instantly. But he has this promise from God. And I'm just mindful that the application of this is that God's timing and God's way is right. Is right. You know, I I never could have imagined, you know, I thought when God called me into ministry, I I was living in Denver. I had a security guard uh, job and and I, I, uh, I, uh, uh, there's a branch of Golden Gate there in Denver. And I had it all pictured in my head. You know, I'd go to seminary at the branch there in Denver. I'd, uh, I'd, I could do all my homework uh, while I'm guarding this empty building. And then I could still hang out with all my friends. And, and it was perfect. I had no peace. No peace. It just made perfect sense to stay where I was. 
and 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 I, I didn't have any peace. And I still remember the day, Sunday morning, my best friend was down in Fort Worth, and and, and I was like, well, Lord, do you do you want me to go to Fort Worth? And, and just peace washed over me, and I knew that was God's will for my life. I met my wife there. And I never would have imagined being a pastor of a tiny country church in Texas, but I knew that's where God had called us. And a lot of great things happened there. And I never imagined moving to Albuquerque, the the city that I uh, visited occasionally as a child because my grandparents lived here. Uh, Just so many major parts of my life I never would have envisioned. But I am so thankful this is where God has me. God's timing and God's way is best. And, uh, and uh, you know, I love the Henry Blackaby series, Exploring God. Uh, one of the biggest truths from that series is, you know, when, when you're not sure where God is calling you, when things are unclear, uh, just stand on the last thing that you knew for sure that God called you. You know, I know God called me here, and I'm just going to keep doing this until I know he's calling me there. And, and, and I want to encourage that, you know, because you never know the twisty, turny route that God's got planned for us. And just stand on God's word, stand on, on, on what he's revealed to you, and, and, and walk that path. And, and, and that's what Paul did. And I feel like, you know, I'm sure he had moments of question, but, but I, I feel like he, he was very confident. He was able to tell his brothers and sisters, no, I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. And, and, and now he knows he's supposed to go to Rome. And God's timing and God's will is best. Well, let, let's uh, read the next section. You don't have to stand up this time. But it's, it's most of chapter 24, and it's Paul before Felix, starting in verse 1. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and spokesmen, uh, one Tertullius. They laid before the governor their case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. He's basically trying to say, you should do what we want, because we're obeying you, you know. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that, that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take well, 
All right, we must have needed a break there. I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So they make their accusation and Paul makes his defense. And uh, we see here Paul just using common sense uh, in, in, in making his defense. And we see that I just have this general feeling like, like this is ridiculous. You know, you, you, you yourself can just verify that, that I've only been there 12 days. You know, and, and uh, they actually kept records back then. They, they kept records even before then in ancient society. You know, they found uh, old clay pots. You know, when a pot broke, they, they just didn't throw it out. They actually used it to, to jot stuff down. They had post-it notes back in the ancient world, and they were clay, clay pot shards. And they found some of the most mundane, ridiculous things on them. You know, I'd hate to be a translator and go, What? It's a grocery list? This is horrible. But, but they kept records ever since man created bureaucracy and so Paul's saying you know what I was on a ship the the ship has records you can verify when I got to Jerusalem and they can't prove anything and and I just get this general sense that Paul's saying that's ridiculous now let's talk what I really want to talk about the resurrection of the just and the unjust you know and so Paul just uses good common sense God gave us a brain uh, he expects us to use it and he uses common sense for his defense, and he uses common sense uh, to share the gospel. But but you notice it's it's very general at this point. I, I think he was feeling out Felix. He didn't know where Felix came from. He's not a Jew. Well, you know, uh, we see later that he spends two years interacting with Felix off and on. And so uh, Luke tells us uh, later that that uh, Felix is married to a Jewess, and, and he has an interest in religion. And so, but, but how much of Paul, did Paul know that at the beginning? And so he, he's just kind of feeling out uh, his audience uh, and to see how they react, to see what he's doing. And, and I love how Paul even says, you know, if you really wanted to get someone, someone here to accuse me, you should get those Asian Jews. I really stirred up trouble there. He just flat out admits it. But these guys don't have a case. I want to talk about the resurrection. That's what's important to me. And, of course, he, he's, he's waiting to see how Felix reacts. And he gets to build on that for two years. And, and, and we can just use common sense in, in living our life, common sense in sharing the gospel. You know, I, I, I believe I, I, I learned this from my wife. I, just, I love presenting the gospel in this way to see how people react. And, and I just ask them this simple question. Did you know that the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with you? See how people will react. That lets you know how far you can go. <laughs> you know, uh, 
but there's a problem. And see, then you start sharing the gospel message. You start talking about the sin that messed it all up and separates us from God. And then you tell them about the solution. And, 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 and you interact with them. You share the word and you start to see who's receptive and who's ready. You know, sometimes you, you'll share the gospel or you talk about God and, and people react very harshly. And that's what we're all scared about, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and you can even sneak in a nugget then. Use your common sense. You know, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you believe. I don't want to talk about that Jesus stuff. You know, probably laying out the four points of the gospel at that point might not be the wisest unless the Lord leads you in that. But you can do this. You can say, okay, well, if you ever do, I'd love to tell you about how Jesus died for your sins. You just shared part of the message and respected them at the same time. Because you just planted a little, what, Jesus died for my sins? They probably won't do that, but, but it's still a nugget in their brain. It's a little tiny seed to, that God will work on. And so I feel like that's what God is doing here in front of Felix. And, and I feel like that's what, what we need to do too. Just use our common sense. Use every opportunity. And, and, and you, boy, you could say this all throughout Paul's life. Paul uses every opportunity, all that he is, all that, that he has for God's glory. Every chance you get, he is sharing the gospel. And, and I really feel like that's part of the evangelism gift. You know, uh, uh, maybe you, you know people like this. They can just turn any conversation and it just it looks so natural. I'll let you in on a little secret. For some of them, it is a gift. But for others of them, they worked at it. And in fact, we can exercise the gifts. And just because he's got the gift of evangelism doesn't mean I got getting out. Oh, well, that's his responsibility. I've got the gift of laziness. You know, that's, that's me calling you out or calling us out. Because if you go read in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 12 through 14, and Paul's talking about gifts, he quite clearly says, I wish you would all prophesy. They were having a big old problem of people abusing the gifts, and Paul says, I wish you would all prophesy. He doesn't say, I wish those of you that had the gift of prophecy would prophesy. And he's not talking about telling the future. He's talking about telling the truth of God. That is prophecy in its essence. Sometimes it involves the future. Sometimes God reveals that to us. But prophecy in its essence is telling the truth of God. And Paul's saying, I wish you would all prophesy. Well, it's not all their gift, but we can all do it. And, and it's not all our gift of evangelism, but we can and should all do it. And for some people, they make it look natural. They've worked at it. And I I say this to you, you could have two uh, master virtuoso guitarists up here, and and they're so just, they're both masters, and and you you could debate to the end of time which one's better. That's that's how good they are. And one of them just had raw, natural talent. In fact, he he hardly ever practices, he he plays games on the weekend, and, and it's just all raw, natural talent. And the other one worked like a dog. Just practicing over and over again, 80 hours a week, just he wants to be the best guitarist. Who's more impressive? The one that just had raw talent and uses it or the one that worked really hard? And we all know the answer. And so it may not be our gift, but we still need to do it and we still need to work at it. And Paul uses everything he is and everything he does for the glory of God.
And we need to do the same. And I mentioned last week that we need to use our citizenship like Paul used his citizenship. Uh, and and that, that wasn't just a go out and vote kind of message. It was use all the freedoms that we have here in this society. And and I was in a meeting uh, just this week at, at work. And, and we were hearing about missionaries uh, around the world. And some of them were in sensitive locations. And, 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 and some of the missionaries were talking about... Uh, uh, how they had to be strategic about who they gave a Bible to because they only had a limited number of Bibles. And they wanted to make sure that the people that they knew that would get saved or that would grow in Christ and go out and share the gospel were getting the Bibles first. They had to be very... And I, I was just struck and I'm like, man, we've got two dozen different English Bibles at the fingertips of it. We've got so much. We don't have to think about that kind of thing. That's a freedom that we have. And the missionaries are struggling with who should we give a Bible to? Who's going to be the most effective? Who's going to get saved? And we have this glorious freedom and 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 I don't always read my Bible. I just get up, throw on my clothes, get dressed and rush out the door. We need to use all that. That's from last week. We need to use all that we have and all that we do and all that God gives us for the glory of God. And there's so many verses along that. We could just make that a whole sermon on itself. But, but here we see Paul yet again using an opportunity when someone was accusing him. I'd be so focused on, oh, I'm going to go to jail. Oh, they're going to do horrible things to me. And he's using this opportunity to share Christ. What a great example to us. Let's encourage each other to do the same. Uh, many of you know John Piper, great theologian and pastor, and uh, he wrote a book that a friend gave to me, a really short book in case you're curious, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. And the chapter, kind of, the title says it all. And it's, it's all about using your life for God's glory. Well, he, uh, he got cancer after he wrote that book. And, and I don't know that it ever became a book, or I, maybe it was just a short little article, but I, I remember someone forwarding me. Uh, he he kind of wrote an addendum. Uh, it may have become a book, but it, it was, don't waste your cancer. So, so his own words, he was realizing, God gave me this cancer, and I can use it for his glory. And, and I know that we aren't always in the right place to hear that kind of thing, but some of us are. And we need to encourage one another every opportunity, every chance for God's glory. Uh, evangelists that would come to the church that I was pastor at in Texas got cancer. And uh, he, he said, man, I got to share the gospel with so many men that were in the waiting room with me. And they were all thinking about eternity. They were all looking at the end of their life and wondering what eternity was about. And he got to lead several of them to the Lord. I mean... How, how often do we share the gospel and just hit a brick wall? <laughs> you know, and, and you think that's such a horrible event, and yet there can be such wonderful blessings from it. So Paul makes his defense. He uses it to, to share the gospel and talk about the resurrection and that Jesus is the, is the answer and the hope. And then for our last point, it's Paul and Felix, but it's it's really a focus on Felix. And as I was preparing for this message, I wanted to race and run to this last point because it was the one that was speaking to me the most. It's the one that still speaks to me. Because the reality is, Felix is toying with God. Let's read this passage. 
But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was, a Jew- who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Get away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And and I mention that, you know, it's Paul and Felix, but it's really Felix toying with God for two years. And and you know, he had it's Luke says that he had an accurate knowledge of the way. So he put the Jews off, meaning he didn't fall for their their uh, flim-flam. He didn't fall for the tricks they were trying to do. And, 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 it, and it's so amazing that God used Felix's greediness for his glory. You know, as, as we look at, at that we're supposed to use all that we are and say and do for God's glory, uh, we sometimes make mistakes. But there's people that don't belong to him that God uses for his own glory. And in fact, there's this wonderful concept called concurrence. That, that at the exact same time, people who, who are against God and people who are for God, whether they're doing the right thing or making mistakes, all these people have different motives. And then there's the spiritual realm of, of, of uh, Satan and his minions who, who all have desires and are making decisions. All this is going on. And at the exact same time, it's all under God's will. Nothing catches his, him off guard. And it's all already been woven into God. And into his plan, into his wealth. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's kind of confusing to say, but, but you need to decide because God has already woven it into his plan. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it just it kind of blows your mind. And I think one of the best examples of this is, is Joseph. I love the story of Joseph and the forgiveness uh, that, that he gives his brothers and the sadness of it that they didn't realize how forgiven they were. And their dad dies. It's right at the end of Genesis chapter 50, 49 and 50. Their dad dies and they're like, oh no, Joseph is, Joseph is going to get his revenge now. Dad's gone. Joseph is finally going to pay us back for all the, the horrible things we did. Totally ignoring the fact that Joseph was number two in Egypt and can totally do whatever he wants to them anytime. And, and be like, he could go to Pharaoh and say, yeah, I want to kill my brothers today. And Pharaoh would be like, cool. Okay. So they think Joseph is going to get his revenge they don't realize they've been forgiven and it says that joseph cried i think joseph was broken by the fact that you've been living under this fear the entire time and he says something so powerful what you intended for good uh, for evil god used for good the salvation of many peoples that's the whole concept of concurrence all this stuff is going on at the exact same time and god makes it part of his plan and uses it for his will 
And so Felix is toying around and messing it, and God uses his greediness for his glory and gets Paul in front of Felix again and again. And notice what it is that alarms Paul. It's uh, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. That would alarm me too if I didn't have Christ. So Felix kind of gets it. Felix is kind of like the rich young ruler who went away sad. He wanted eternal life. He asked Jesus what he needed to do to get it. Jesus flat out told him what to do, and he didn't do it. And Felix is toying with God. I, you know, we don't know how Felix's life ended. I can only hope that he finally got right with God, finally accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive his sins. But how sad will that be? when he stands before the God if he didn't get right, and God said, I put one of my best apostles in front of you for two years, and you just kept putting me off. And so I can tell you from experience, but it is a fearful thing. You know, I won't share all of my salvation story, but I grew up in the church. I walked forward twice as a child and once as a, a preteen, and, and, and neither one of them were sincere. And I, I remember in, in middle school, I, I began to question, if, was there even a God? And, and, and I came to the conclusion that there was, and, and I even looked at a few of the major religions, and, and, and I, I came to the conclusion that the God of the Bible is the one true God, and that Jesus is his son, and, and that the word is true, and yet I still was not willing to give my life to the Lord, because I wanted to live my life my way. I was, I was playing Pascal's wager, and losing, thinking, you know... I don't know, but it was fearful because I believed in a God. I believed he was true, but I wasn't yet ready to give my life to him. I was toying with God. What a, what a frighteningly horrible thing had I died. And I, I, you know, to, to die and be separated from God and go to hell is horrible, but, 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 to have the chance to hear the gospel and know it and reject it, how much more horrible is that? And so some of you here might be doing what I did. Some of you might be doing what Felix did. did. And I implore you, don't do that. Don't mess around. No one knows what tomorrow holds but God. We don't know if we have a tomorrow. In fact, uh, I, I love the verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 1b. Behold, today is the favorable time. Not, behold, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. When God speaks to you, when God is drawing you, and, and I've heard all the excuses. One of the big ones is I've done too much, I can't be forgiven, and, and, and that's just hogwash. How many of y'all have killed people that, that are Christians? How many of you have persecuted the church and, and Paul got saved? And, and 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 if you have like Paul, Paul got saved. So we haven't done too much. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the fact that you want to be a Christian is a gift by, by God. And so if you've got that tug in your heart and, and you're being pulled both ways, one of those ways is God. And you couldn't have that without God. 
And that's proof right there that you should go with God. Open the box. Find out he's true. Because I tell you what, in my ridiculous 0.0001%, that's not a chance. It's 100%. But you can only see that on the other side. That's why Pascal's wager makes sense to believers. We're like, of course. Why wouldn't you do that? It it doesn't make so much sense to non-believers. And we need to understand that. But keep encouraging them. So if you're like that, if, if you're living that way, don't put it off. Don't put it off. And we're going to have an invitation after, after this point. You can come speak to me or Pastor Stephen or Pastor Corey because Danny will be worshiping. I almost said your name. And uh, you can speak to any one of us and, and we'll help you. But is, this isn't just a point for those who aren't saved. Because you know what? God doesn't just save us and kick us out the door and let us go our way. It's a call to being family. It's a call to grow in Christ. It's a call to live the life that God has intended for us. And God wants us, as John 10.10 says, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. Not just salvation and eternity once you die, but here and now. Salvation now, a full, rich life now. That doesn't mean the health and wealth gospel. That means God's priorities, God's blessings, God's word. And that means struggle. But, but it's going to bring joy and peace and all of the other fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit, by the way. That's one of my little soapbox. It's, it's a package deal. Yeah. And so God is calling his children to a deeper relationship with him. I mentioned Saul being called back time and time again. I mentioned Jonah. God was trying to teach him a lesson with that little worm eating the plant. You know, that, the, the deed was done. That was for Jonah. God is calling his children to a deeper relationship with him. Uh, a verse that we often use for salvation, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it up, I will enter in and eat with him and he with me. Great verse for salvation. But the context of that verse is to the church. He's speaking to a church and Jesus is calling the church to spend time with him like John, the beloved disciple, or like Mary, who loved and enjoyed to recline at the feet of Jesus. And God's calling all of us to that, not just a special few. And he has specific wills for all of us. He might want us to serve in the church in a specific place or or become members of the church. He might have some of us to become full-time gospel ministers or missionaries or, or worship pastors or all sorts of service. There might be a fruit of the Spirit that we're particularly weak on. You know, you hear, don't pray for patience. God's going to give you a lot of chances to use it. But pray for patience. And he will give you a lot of chances to use it. He's not an evil genie. He's a loving God. And he wants his children to know him as deeply as we're willing and able to do. And he's calling us. And I urge and implore us, myself included, don't put that off. Sometimes we as his children toy with God. God might be telling us about a sin in our life that we found acceptable, but it's sin. And sin is never acceptable. 
You know, uh, and everyone has different standards, but some cultures have different standards as well. These sins, well, they're still sin, but they're kind of okay. They're not like those sins. Sin is sin. If it's disobedience to God, it's sin against him. And he might be speaking about something in your heart that you're holding on to. And he wants, he says, I want all of you. I want your whole heart. Uh, ladies, uh, of course, will emphatically answer this question, but I'll ask everyone. You know, if, if I were to propose to someone and say, I love you, I'll be devoted to you 100%, 364 days out of the year. But one day, I'm going to disappear. And you can't ask me any questions about that day. How many of you ladies would like that? No. God wants our whole heart. And there might be a sin in our life that he's saying, you need to deal with this. You need to repent and change your life. You need to get this out of your life. Because I want you and I want all of you. So this isn't just for those who aren't believers. Sometimes we toy with God as believers. Don't put it off behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens up i will enter in and eat with him and he with me let's pray